0: Welcome to the great conversation where ideas matter, ideas shape markets, ideas can change the world. As all of you know, I've been kind of researching for quite some time uh, the whole idea of this sensor-driven world. This particularly comes into play in the art of the investigation, Um, as you know, because I've had many podcasts talking about this analog to digital transformation in the area of uh, investigative uh, uh, surveillance and reporting. And um, and as you know, I'm active on LinkedIn. Uh, in fact, many of uh, the community will contact me on, on uh, LinkedIn and say, oh, you got to talk to this person or this person about this issue, which I deeply appreciate. And sometimes it's just my eyes. I'll be looking at people responding to the great conversation and suddenly I'll see a name and I'll see a profile there. And imagine for a second, you just looked at a name and a profile and you see the term protection futurist. So you gotta, you gotta get the guy on the phone. You gotta ask, what the heck is that? And you study his background a little bit and you realize he's been in investigations for some time. Like many, he's got a servant leader background uh, from the uh, military. Uh, but what, what we really wanna get into at some point is the journey that led him to that phrase protection future? So welcome, Scott Walker of Walker and Associates. Hi, Scott.
1: Hi, hey, thanks, Ron. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, absolutely. It's a pleasure already. We spent just a few moments just getting acquainted because he wants to know who this yokel guy with with the with the long hair in his post-pandemic uh, uh home wants him on his podcast. But you know what? If you saw his face right now, you'd see he was a very open and generous man. So, Scott, let's get into it a little bit. Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit about the journey leading up to this phrase protection futurist.
1: The journey really it, it'll never be done. Right. Because history, the one thing we can't stop is time. We haven't figured that out yet. Um, and so my journey was always uh, one of curiosity and, and just being open to new roles and new opportunities and new challenges. And I just, as I was evolving my own brain in what does protection mean? Who are protectors? Who are are the people that are out there doing these missions? Um, I evolved into leadership roles in the private sector. And I wanted to start talking with people and driving conversations around kind of three things, or I, at least I found myself having these conversations and we, we always talked about people. We talked a lot, a lot about people. And, and uh, after I made my transition out of the military and law enforcement into the private sector, I, I reached back and, and help people transition themselves. And um, so we talked a lot about how do we help people transition out of military and law enforcement, in the private sector into corporate security or into the protection world, um, but on the private side. And then I've tried to understand technology. How does that, what does that role that technology play in protection? And what is the process of protection or what new processes can we apply? Always trying to learn how to apply something newer, better, faster, stronger, smarter, those kinds of things, $6 million man stuff. And uh, that, that evolved into well, this, it's a, let's just call it what it is. I'm trying to understand the future and where things are going uh, so that we can do the right thing today and the pandemic affected me just like it is everybody. Um, I didn't realize that we are in such a, a, a crisis until probably halfway through the pandemic. I read a, a book called The Fourth Turning, um, might be something for your, book, your great bookshelf behind you. Um, I'm sorry, repeat that title, Scott. The, the Fourth Turning. And it, it was written by two demographers and uh, basically, I won't ruin the ending, but uh, it, it uh, basically goes into generations, and we understand how generations are, are affect economy and affect government and affect all these things, technology, uh, maybe people processes and technology, I don't know, and uh, how those go through kind of an 80 to 100 year time span. And... Um, there, there are four turnings and we're in the, they wrote this in the nineties, by the way, there we're in the fourth turning, which is a time of crisis, but don't worry. We're almost all the way through it. The, the turnings are about 20 years. And, and so they, they talk about generational things and it really impacted me and and to think about things in the future, because how can I provide services to my clients, um, to the people that are around me? How can I uh, prepare my own personal life for what's coming next. And, um, you know, my mentor and I worked on problems way before we even knew that they were going to be problems like pandemic preparedness. We were talking about pandemic preparedness in 2015, uh, around the time of the bird flu and things like that that were happening in Asia Pacific. So that got me to thinking about. You know, I I like talking about risk. I like talking about protection um, and those kinds of things. Uh, But I also like to think about, well, what's the future risk going to be and how can we meet that future risk? Because we one thing's for sure. We have to build today, whatever it is, whatever that mechanism is that will protect us or keep us safe in the future from future risks.
0: Okay, this this is really interesting. I'm so glad you brought up the book and I can't wait to quickly you know, do my Amazon search on it and find yeah. out what it is. But, but let me try to figure it out a little bit, why it fascinated you so much. Because you added something when you started talking about it. You go, well, because I like to predict what might happen. Okay, so now think of this in business terms for a second. When a CEO is managing risk and opportunity, they're looking not ways to just defend. Yeah. They're saying out of a situation, it could be uh, a supply chain problem. It could be um, uh, 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 a breakthrough technology that might actually might actually uh, turn his company upside down. Yeah. Actually, I, I, can you imagine being a taxi owner and finding out Uber's coming? That's right. And you don't have an answer to it. So, good strategists like me, business strategists, look at ecosystems, right? Mm-hmm. So, for example, today I was looking at who would be the best smart home vendor for me in my home. And I, like I started realizing that it's actually going to be a number of different manufacturers that are stitched together an ecosystem. Yeah. And I start studying when, as a strategist, I start studying the market ecosystem and how they somehow or not influence your buying behavior, Scott Walker. Yeah. So, so now I'm going to turn it to bad guys. Yeah. And I'm going to say, right, what are the ecosystem in events, prevailing events that are happening at a certain period of time And what is my response to them that will create competitive advantage, creative opportunity? Oh, and by the way, maybe also protect my people and assets. And I say that kind of glibly, but where where I'm going is, is that where you're going with your mention of the fourth turning here And, and your idea that predictive behavior is more than just keeping people safe and secure or did I read too strategic much
1: advantage yeah it's a strategic advantage I mean the fourth turning goes more deeper into this too but um we one thing that we haven't really talked about as security practitioners is how generations are going to affect business oh yeah because it's going to affect security I mean we already know that the way business goes uh will affect the way we we perceive risk or we help mitigate risk on the security or the investigation side. So, um, you know, uh, by 2025, we're going to have, I don't know, what is it? 50% of the workforce is going to be made up by this new generation, whether you call them Gen Y or you call them millennials, whatever you call them, um, they will be the, the majority of folks in the marketplace working. How do they perceive security or wearing a badge or um, just doing the job? Something that um, we're, we're finding is that in today's world, uh, the $15 an hour security guard is almost non-existent. You have to pay them more, they deserve more. Um, by the way, when you pay them more, should you expect more? And I say, yes, but um, we can't build that overnight. We can't just say, okay, well, we're gonna, change, we're gonna pay them $18 an hour and, and we're gonna expect them to act like the police. Um, that's not going to work. We still have to build to that. Although, by the way, we should have been building this ten years ago. This this is a ridiculous conversation to have in twenty twenty one that there's anybody is making less than fifteen dollars an hour. But here we are, and so I like talking to trying to understand how generational aspects are going to affect the marketplace because I think that will it, in it will affect how security gets done. How. Uh, risk is mitigated or what new risks are on the horizon?
0: Well, we, 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 we saw it uh, a number of years ago. I was at a JSX is conference and a subject matter expert stood up and he was proclaiming, now this is quite a few years ago, that the most insecure device in the room was the cell phone. And what he was talking about is many of the companies were starting to talk about using the cell phone in their security footprint, security technology footprint. Sure. And he was holding, and he, he was ranking the different cell phones and at that time. The BlackBerry was, was the one that was IT secure, right? Uh, right. As much as possible. Uh, but I got to thinking from that point, what what he wasn't talking about is the CEO on the plane with the latest iPhone going, now, why can't I access my security posture from the iPhone? Why can't I see things from my iPhone? And, and so let's go to generational thinking for a second, right. which, by the way, doesn't mean age. No. Right? Generational thinking is getting used to things that are faster, better, cheaper, back to Moore's law, but apply to the basic economics, the transactions with technology, faster, better, cheaper, service-oriented, on-demand, You're hearing these terms, which means I got to see that in my security guard. Yeah. Okay, sorry, Sorry, security guard and security companies, they need to be technology aware. They, They need to be part of the sensor fabric of the company, don't they?
1: And we should be multi-layering things anyways. Right. You know, we talk about robotics and there are a number of robotics yeah. and drone companies out there in, this, in the security, physical security world. Uh-huh. And, you know, what I say about um, application, whether it be robotics or a drone, is if it's too mundane or too dangerous, it should be done through autonomy or through some some level of robotics. Right. And, but, you know, there's a lot of things that haven't caught up there. Um, When we talk specifically about uh, drones, the FAA controls the sky and they haven't caught up with uh, allowing uh, broader applications of security drones. You know, I was at uh, ISC West just a couple of weeks ago and saw great drone packages out there and they're talking about autonomous flight and all this great stuff. Well, the technology may exist. The regulators have not caught up with these things, and so while it be, it's great that we're charging ahead and and we're forging these new um, pathways. I said the same thing about Tesla and, and uh, self driving, uh, and I'm on record saying, you know, you, you still, and I own a Tesla, you still have to maintain control of the, those vehicles. Same thing with with uh, drone technology. So until um, the the regulator, or the government is caught up, it's it's kind of like it's it's neat. And I like that you're pushing forward, but it's not something. If I was a security leader, that I would be wanting to invest tens of thousands or millions of dollars in and relying upon. Uh, robotics is a little bit different because it's a little bit uh, more two-dimensional, not not three multi-dimensional. And um, I think we can we can understand a robot better than we can understand uh, drone autonomous drones. You know, uh, in in our culture and in our society, you know, uh, Terminator movies aside, um, I think you know, seeing a little R two D two type robot is much more palatable for the general public than than something swooping through the parking lot um, at, at a that it makes a lot of noise. By the way, most drones um, you know make a make a racket, but uh, you know, anyways. The the but I think the point is that if we don't continue to evolve, we will die. And, and I say, I think we need to evolve at all levels. And, and when I say levels, I mean from the, that uniform security person in an organization to the C-suite and the, and the CSO level, we all need to continue to look at what's coming on the horizon and what's next and how do I apply these things. And that's not something that you can, again, just do overnight. Because if we are applying the same security posture that we applied in the 1980s and some organizations and some of the people that listen to your show are probably shaking their head going, yeah, that's our organization. Uh, That um, Maybe that worked then, but does it work now? And it may, there may be aspects that that continue to work. But what I want to help people realize is that the risk is evolving. We look at the risk first. You know, If there's a risk, then we have to mitigate it or we have to do something. We have to transfer it. We have to transition it. We have to get it away. We have to accept it, whatever it is. So if we're doing all those things when we're looking at risk, we have to do that same. We have to have that same understanding with how we apply security or how we apply protection, I Much rather talk about protection. Security is uh, is a fuzzy word now with with, is it cyber? Is it physical? There's so much crossover, which is good. I just think of it as a protection as a whole.
0: Yeah, Fred Burton calls it protective intelligence. Right, yeah. he coined that yeah. term. So over at ontech yeah, great, great, great term. Um, so help me understand protection futurist. Then um, I, um, I don't know who consumes your services. You know what persona is it? The CEO, CSO, is it? loss prevention teams, but if I saw that term, I'm thinking about hiring you and I saw that term, what do you want it to convey to them?
1: I want to convey to, uh, not to a specific group. I really do want to convey it to everybody. I, I've applied security throughout my career, very similar to, um, I, I've been and worked around some of the folks who were trained or were Israeli um, federal law enforcement, let's just say, and their concept, uh, or a lot of their concepts, whether it be Krav Maga or any of their, their security postures, is everybody is kind of in the fight or everybody is a resource. And I believe that I believe that when I w- was at NVIDIA and the way I, I established and, and my, my uh, programs that I was responsible for. I wanted to make everybody a resource uh, and I kind of coined the term then that I was deputize. I would deputize all employees. And, and, but what I would say now is I, I would like to give everybody in the organization agency and empower them to do the right thing or to protect themselves or protect the company or protect clients and their resources and those kinds of things. And so I, I don't necessarily market any of my skills to one type of, uh, organization over the other. I want everybody to be, um, I you know, specifically towards business. I I want to talk about the economy. I want to talk about business, international business specifically, um, because I think the world is getting smaller. And just because you have your little mom and pop bakery in in uh, Stanislaus, California, doesn't mean that you can't also sell to China or to Japan or to Russia. Um, and by the way, each of those has different risk profiles, right? So I, I'm much more want to talk more broadly to folks um, who are doing business or are or, or involved in trade. Um, and mostly because tr- when we trade or when we do business with each other internationally, we're much less likely to kill each other or to want to go to war with each other. And that's what I want. I, we've been at war for 20 years, over 20 years now. And I've been to, you know, too many funerals and seen too many friends, uh, you know, with, with horrific injuries and worse. And I would much rather see us coordinating and collaborating as a global society than to kind of uh, build walls and, and, and enforce borders and things like that. And I think when we trade, um, we are more likely to, to have a great conversation you know, to, to use your term. And uh, those conversations will lead to collaboration, which will lead to just kind of keeping this level of innovation moving forward. Um, And we, we're evolving to understand our, our economy better. We're evolving to understand the ecology better and our planet better. Um, I'm, I am uh, enjoying the, the, what we're doing with this, this kind of new space race, Um, But what I do understand is that history repeats itself. And so we're, you know, we're kind of in this 1960s feel, right, where we have civil unrest, and we're talking about social justice, and we're talking about um, a long uh, war in another country, and we're talking about putting people on the moon again. So, um, you know, that that seems a lot like the 1960s to me. And um, so when I Communicate to an audience. The audience um, is—I'd love to talk to everybody who's in business that that makes decisions for their business. If you uh, make a decision, I want to empower you with information, and I want to—but it has to come from a conversation. It can't be one-sided. It can't be, hey, uh, what do you think we should do here? No, it's got to be a conversation. And everybody on the team has uh, has value, and I think everybody in a company uh, has value, and every working-age person who wants to work has value. Um, and should, should be out there doing these things. I don't necessarily believe that, oh, you're too old to do X or you'll never be able to learn this or you're too young. Uh, by the way, mentorship goes up and down. You should seek mentors that are older than you or more senior than you and folks that are younger than you. I had amazing conversations at Facebook with people that were much, much younger and, and kind of, I will say, less experienced just from a worldly view, um, but they were worldly. And this is the thing that we're, that will change that generation, the, the millennial generation or, or the artist generation, as I call it, will, will change the world for the better. They'll be the one, they're our saviors, the Gen Xers. I was the, in the repair generation. I'm here to fix things, and that's still my mentality. I want to fix things. And, um, but this new generation that's coming in, if you don't acknowledge that they have value, even if they haven't, done anything that's resume worthy you know oh they volunteered at a homeless shelter like who cares well that's real experience they know how to talk to people maybe they maybe have a, a different skill that maybe you don't have and by the way that's good that's the conversation we should be having and when we have these conversations about where are we today and where do we need to go for tomorrow we're less likely we're more likely to be be to be be successful in our organization or with our endeavor if we're inclusive, and we break down barriers and we break down walls. Walls are not just built by uh, you know physical attributes; they're also built by mental attributes. Every single one of us have hangups somehow, somewhere. Every single one of us has trauma somehow, somewhere. Let's overcome that. Work together, and build for the future. I I do believe this gen this current generation will have a. a a subtype of colony on Mars. That's really cool to think about in 2021, but how do we get there? Well, that's the better, that, the journey is the better part. And so while I've been on a journey uh, over the last almost 30 years with my, my, my pers- professional life and personal life, um, I want to help kind of people of all, all respects who are interested in collaboration, who are interested in fair and free trade and open trade, Let's understand that there are risks out there. Not that we're going to say no, because that's one thing I learned as a security practitioner is we don't say no, but we say, yes, but, or, you know, how, let's, I want to help you understand in a small amount of time as possible, what my view is so that you can go and do whatever it is that you do better and safer and better for everybody. So. So
0: you, um, let me see if I can summarize what I've heard today. One, it sounds like you have a personal and professional interest in mentoring, uh, whether it's a business person or a security professional or someone from the services looking to get into the economy. It sounds like you if you were engaged in a company, you might, uh, they might engage you to actually come up with, I'm putting words in your mouth now intentionally, to come up with a security philosophy, a security worldview. Uh, and I'm trying to tap into this protection futurist again, because it, it almost sounds like you would start with, this is interesting because <laughs> a famous businessman once said, business uh, educator once said, uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Yeah. So yeah. instead of coming in and being the security strategist, you might be the cultural strategist for security posturing in a company. Did, am I catching you right?
1: Yeah, you, you are. That's what I did when, I, so when I, I started at NVIDIA. I came in to build investigations, executive protection programs. But what we quickly found out was we need more help on the security operations side. And so one of the first things that I was to do, besides understanding kind of the full scope of a global security program, was to... Uh, attend some more education at the disney institute and uh, that's walt disney has a, an institute where they teach you what they call the disney way and what i have quickly found out is where we were failing was in our service delivery and our interaction with what i'll call the public but there are employees right and um the, those first touches even if you have a messed up process or you have old equipment and you just can't uh, do the things that you need to do. If you're failing that first contact, that, that initial contact with it with somebody who's going to be your customer, let's say they need it somebody needs a badge because their old badge is not working. If you're failing at that point, doesn't matter how great the badge that you're going to give them is or the access that you're going to give them, none of that matters because all they see is boy, these guys can't even get my badge right. How do I trust them? patrol the parking lot and keep my my car safe or keep me safe here what if we have an earthquake i don't trust these guys to give me cpr right i mean that's the cascading effect of uh that they think that that there's um that there's no confidence there and so that's where i spend a lot of time is how do we give better customer service and i see i see good aspects uh, in the world um, but i also see a lot of really, really bad approaches to customer service or, or service delivery. It's just crappy because people, um, a, a lot of folks, and I think what the, the challenge is there is people are um, overburdened and their organization has never told them that they matter. Um, when I, uh, when I should say we, because it wasn't just me, but at NVIDIA, we established awards programs. We established recognition of those frontline people, um, because they were out there, and all I wanted to do when I got there, I got tired of calls at three o'clock in the morning. Hey, somebody, this employee forgot their badge, and you know, can I can I let them in, or is this okay? Why are you escalating this up to me? What I found was that they were not empowered to make decisions at the, the that first touch level, uh, or what the banking or finance industry calls the flawed the first line of defense let's empower those folks. Now you can't just flip the light switch and go, Oh, you're empowered. You can go do great great things. No, no, no. You got to train them. You got to equip them. You got to pick the right people. Not everybody is equipped for that. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. There's other places. Maybe I'll put you if you're not, if you don't like talking with people, that's okay. (laughs) But we can't uh, approach something that's broken with the, Mindset of just oh they're just security guards or just doing this thing, and so my approach was oh I'm going to empower them I'm going to acknowledge them, and at the time I I you know whenever you uh, go into an organization, you adopt what is there and you don't have much of a choice of, of how things will go because it's been established a long time ago and there's millions of dollars at stake maybe with contracts. So I had to go in and uh, tr- and with a team around me, great teams above me, people giving me uh, top cover and giving me agency and authority to go make these decisions having great people around me. But um, I, the big, the big kind of aha moment for me was, Oh, nobody's ever said thank you to these people. Nobody's ever, ever told them how much, how important they are. And that's not acceptable in my organ in an organization that I'm with. I'm going to acknowledge you and we're going to work through it together um, because I need that person on the ground. I can't be everywhere and I can't give great quality customer service every minute of every day, 24 hours a day. So you got to empower other people to do it for you.
0: All I can think about while you're talking there, uh, Scott, is that Disney movie, um, I think it was Beauty and the Beast where the candlestick is going, be my guest, be my guest, put my service to the test.
1: (laughs) And those uh, characters are filled throughout the Disney, uh, what they call quality service process. Well,
0: uh, the reason for me, this has been a great conversation for those of you who've listened with us for the last 20 minutes I mean, think, think about what you've heard. We need to give employees agency and skills to empower them to uh, serve each other and protect themselves. Uh, everybody is a resource in Scott Walker's book. You would have heard that touch first touches really matter. Get the little things right and the rest will follow. And then again, the Disney way, be my guest, put my service to the test. Scott, this has been a great conversation.
1: Thank you.